We're partnering up with the Ayn Rand Institute this week, and joining me in studio are two of their top intellectuals, Tara Smith and Ankar Gatte. Welcome to the Rubin Report. We're going to be talking about selfishness and the virtue yeah. of selfishness. How could selfishness possibly be virtuous? I thought selfishness was evil. How could it not be virtuous? I love, love talking about selfishness. Um, I found the two most well, selfish people I possibly I could. I try, so I try, it. and it's going pretty well. Yeah? And what I mean, part of what I mean by that is, in a sense, you know, it works for me. It wor if you want people to be happy, I mean, I'll give you one quick kind of capsule just to get us going. If you care about people's being happy, genuinely having fulfilling lives, you know, feeling good about their lives, but with good reason to feel good about their lives, then I think you need to, people need to think carefully about what's in my best interest. And that's largely what selfishness is all about. Doing what's really going to be good for you, best for you, so that you can have the best life that you can have. I mean, you're going to have to, I can go on and on. Yeah, so you may, well, that's, why we're, that's uh, why we're here. You may have to interrupt sometimes. We're, all right, so... On, when Ayn Rand sort of first was writing about this, it was pretty radical to say selfishness was virtuous, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it still is radical. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she's in, in a weird way, it may be more radical now at some level. She's basically the only person who will say that selfishness is a virtue. And people often say, well, look, we obviously know that it's a vice. You know all kinds of people that you label as SOBs, they're cheaters. Um, they cut corners in their work. They're always trying to take advantage of other people. And she has a completely different conception of what it means to be selfish. What she thinks about those people is they're actually not pursuing what's in their self-interest. They're not doing anything that's going to make them happy. Um, and if you really took seriously that it's your life, you have one life to live, I'm trying to make the most of it, you would not act like that. And I think even more important, the way she thinks about it is that we bundle together into the concept. So the idea of selfishness, so the used car salesman who cuts corners, he's mm -hmm. put the odometer back and, and he's trying to cheat his customers. We put that together <coughs> with a Bill Gates mm -hmm. who's labeled as selfish because he makes oodles and oodles of money. But he makes it. He doesn't steal it. He doesn't cheat his customers. Mm -hmm. He's offering a tremendous value. We call a kid who wants to just play with his toys and doesn't want to share. Maybe he's saved for a year to buy a bike and now he wants to use it. And someone who hasn't done anything comes by and you're, well, he doesn't have a bike, you have a bike, so you're supposed to share. Like, why? And we put all this together. All these people are selfish. Yeah. And some of these people are bad and some yeah. of these people are profoundly good. You can't think with that kind of no, concept. I think we have a very crude yeah. vocabulary yeah. for bad behavior. So we just throw it all, oh, it's all selfish. Well, no, not if you're really thinking about what is in your self-interest. Now, a lot of that behavior is bad and should be condemned, mm -hmm. but because it's inconsiderate or non-objective about the other person, or abusive in some cases. I mean, there's all sorts of right. bad exploitative behavior, and mm -hmm. Ayn Rand is certainly against that. But doing what's good for you, and sometimes that means turning away the appeal of somebody else, you know, or, oh, but this person needs it, or this other person is more important than you. It's like, no. My life is the most important thing to me, just as yours should be to you, and just as yours should be to you. And in fact, that's really the only path by which people can lead the kinds of fulfilling lives and rewarding lives and genuinely good lives. So one of the things that I really like possible. to do on this show is, is define words, because especially these days, we live in a time where everyone's sort of defining words or mm. ideas their own way. So partly what we're talking about here is a sort of misunderstanding in a modern sense of what the word selfish means, right? That how, what's the best way if you wanted to lay out what that other person is, the, the used car salesman who's not really, yeah. they're acting selfishly at some level, but, they, but they're really not would be Ayn Rand's argument because they're not doing what's in their best interest right. by cheating right. their customers right. and it's probably not best for them right. in the long run. I mean, I'm not sure that there's always going to be a term that's, a, you know, a single best term to use for some of these cases. Ayn Rand advocates what she calls rational selfishness. It's got to be thoughtful selfishness. It's got to be about what really is in my interest, not just long term, but long term, not just today, what's going to make me feel good now, mm -hmm. but all things considered. I mean, think about, for instance, when you go to a wedding and you wish the young couple 
all the happiness in the world, right? All the success in the world. You go to college graduation and you hope they have a really successful life. That's good for them, right? You're thinking about, I mean, it's not that you hope they'll do whatever will make them feel good. Or they'll get the right drugs and they'll just be, you know, they'll be right. dumb, dumb and happy, but they'll think they're having a good life, right? So the used car salesman, the cheater, the philanderer, some of these, these mm -hmm. creeps, right? I mean, they've gotten into relationships that then they're cheating on their wives or whatever it might be, or cheating on their clients. Um, is this, I mean, if you step back and actually think about it a little mm -hmm. bit, is that making them a genuinely good life, a genuinely satisfying life? I mean, you'll read about the Madoffs who are racked by not just guilt, but not, hating themselves the entire time they're you know, engaged in the kinds of games that they're engaged in. So it's not, I think, that there's always going to be a single time. Now, again, in some cases, it is something like, that was really inconsiderate of this, you know, and sometimes right. it's a smallish right. thing. Well, that was really non-objective. You weren't realizing, well, from his point of view and where he stands, he had good reason to be concerned about this, and you had good reason to be concerned about that, too. Yeah. And I just, just one broader point. Sure. Well, I do think some of this is about what we mean by the term, it's, n it's not just, oh, Rand is saying what everybody else is saying, but she's using the word a little differently. I mean, she is saying, no, radically different from just about everybody else who talks about ethics, you know, when she was writing today, forever. Your life is yours. You should make the most of it in a way that's respectful of the fact that others' lives are theirs and so on. But to do that, you need to be focused primarily on the value of your well-being to you and trying to think about what's really going to put together or compose that mosaic that is the best life for me. So would it be fair to say that acting in your own self-interest is the most sort of, it's sort of the best way you can live if personal responsibility is of primacy to you? If, yeah, if personal responsibility and your own life. So I think another way of thinking about that she's advocating selfishness. And it's not the only term she uses, as Tara was saying. I mean, rational self-interest is mm -hmm. another one. And another one is the pursuit of happiness. But if really taking that seriously, it means the pursuit of your own individual happiness, that that's what you should be aiming at. And part of, I think, what she's, when she's trying to reclaim the term selfishness, I think part of the, the way it gets a bad rap is people are presented with a false choice. And the false choice is either I give up my values, the things I really care about, the stuff that makes me happy for the sake of other people, or else they, I'm, so, I'm, so I'm losing and they're gaining, apparently. Or else it's I victimize other people. Mm -hmm. And the idea is I'm somehow gaining by that and they're losing. And those are your two choices. So you can be selfless without a self, and then you're sort of like a patsy, and you give up everything for the sake of other people. Or else you're selfish, and that means you're exploiting and taking mm -hmm. advantage of other people. And she says this is a false choice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important to get it. And both are not selfish. So if you're really thinking about your self-interest, the, neither is the way to pursue it. Right. So there has to be some kind of third alter, and what she's mm -hmm. putting out is a third alternative, that you can live a life that you're aimed at your own happiness that's radically non-exploitative, so that you don't think of other people as prey. So I'm glad that you mentioned the term selfless, which seems like the reverse of selfish, because it seems like we live in a time right now where with all the virtue signaling and everything that's coming out of this sort mm -hmm. of social justice warrior crew, that there's, there's a facade of selflessness, as if they're doing all these things to be selfless. But I would argue they're, they're doing it probably because of some deep need within them. It may not be scratching that itch, but, but how did the idea of selflessness become so thought of as so obviously right? Well, that goes way back. And I, I will say, I don't think that, you know, it's a separate discussion, but I don't think that all of these social justice warriors or whatever you want to call some of these, I don't think they're all necessarily seeing themselves, that a lot of them are seeing themselves as virtuous. I think some of them are virtuous. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think they see it all in terms of being selfless. And there's some real good that can be done for certain causes, mm -hmm. but that's a separate issue. Uh, you know, I mean, think of Christ, think of scripture, and certainly other religions and other philosophies have this as well, but, you know, it's do for God or do for your other, you know, I am my brother's keeper, right? Um, you know, 
There's something greater than me. I mean, the individual, mm-hmm. the you as you, has often just from religious traditions been, no, no, you know, you are a lucky wretch that God loves you, you know, and if you're lucky, if you earn salvation, how do you earn it? By serving others, by serving the Lord, by serving... So it's sort of been drilled out of people just you know, for centuries. I mean, it goes back in that sense. Yeah, as two people that, that do this for a living and, and get in and out of these ideas, what, what techniques have you found to, to take a young person who's been so taught that either being selfless is the right thing to do or doing for others is the right thing to do and putting yourself secondary or the, the greater good, all of those phrases. Do you have any tricks to kind of wake people up to, to some of this? I'm not sure it's exactly a trick, but I think there's a question that um, it's not easy to ask and you can help people ask, which is why. Mm. So why do you have to do these things? Why is it that the nation counts more than you? And so you're asking where this comes from. Yeah, it has deep, deep uh, origins, I think, in religion and even prior to that when you look in philosophy. And it goes, it's for centuries and centuries. If you just think of the, the Republicans and the uh, Democrats, but you basically can take any president in his State of the Union when he's trying to say, like, this is morally what you should do. Live for a cause greater than yourself, greater than your desires. That was George W. Bush. Mm. Ask not what you can do, uh, what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. So there's always this kind of conception that there's something higher above you. It can be God, mm. the nation, your race, and so on. And your obligations are to that and to sacrifice what you, why? So that's the question. Well, no, it's, and it's, yeah, I think it's, that's so important because these ideas of selflessness and service are so taken for granted, people don't know why they're supposed to think them, but they know that they are. Mm -hmm. We know, it's like, whoa, this is what I'm supposed to think. But everybody thinks this. Everybody respectable, everybody likable, everybody good, everybody decent, you know. So, but it is this article of faith much more than a product of reason. So, I mean, what you try to do with anybody, it's, is A, Get them to start questioning. But I think another thing, sometimes it's helpful, is think about some of the concrete virtues. Um, you know, think about honesty and how that might be self-interested, really? Or justice and how that might be self-interested. Or certain alleged virtues maybe aren't what they're cracked up to be if you actually think about them in very specific kinds of circumstances. And that's something I know that with students, you know, they can relate to the justice of dealing with roommates who don't pull their weight around the house and do the dishes when they're supposed to do the dishes or whatever it might right, be. Right, so just being selfless in that case and always cleaning up after your roommate would not be the wisest thing for no. you nor your roommate now, nor well, the other roommate or anyone course, involved. Of course, yeah. right? It would be stupid. You'd be a patsy. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, what most people, and you were speaking of the three alternatives, well, I'm either going to exploit you or just be a sucker, right? Mm-hmm. right? And Rand is offering a third alternative, but in a sense... I think of it sometimes as a fourth alternative because another alternative that most people say, well, of course you got to be selfish sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, of course you're not being stupid. You know, you got to take care of yourself. You got to go to the doctor or whatever. And but of course you got to put others first. So, so it's a balance. You may, you know, you play exploiter sometimes. Right, I mean, that's their version, right? And what she's saying, this is it's not a zero sum game. Morality, having a good life. If you become happy, God bless you. I don't believe in God, but you know, you know, yeah. you get the point, right? I mean, that's good. That's yeah. great. That's no. That doesn't mean he can't be happy. That doesn't mean I. I there's no zero sum there, but right there. Yeah. I guess there's an idea that somehow, if you're selfish, that that precludes other people's happiness. That you're just going to run right. rimshot of the world when it seems to me I've in done reality selfish that things the, today yeah. that yeah. I don't think did a damn thing to anybody else. You know, yeah. you know, I did my you little exercise this morning. left nothing for on <laughs> oh, They were good, <laughs> too, good, good snacks. No, I mean, there's much that we do to try to take good care of ourselves, you know, on a, on a regular basis. That has nothing to do with ripping off other people or anything like that. But again, if you're really thinking about what is a person's well-being, what is in their interest, if you're really thinking about that, as opposed to, well, we've got these throwaway lines about it, then you have to start taking seriously what might be required. So is that the key part of this then, that most people just don't think these things through? So if you ask the average person, well, are you selfish? They're uh-huh. going to say no, right. as if you've attacked them. Mm-hmm. And then if you, but if you really whittled it down to, well, how do you live your day? Do you mostly do things that make your day go well, basically, mm-hmm. be it at work or at home or anything else? They, usually they'll yeah. say yes if they're living somewhat of a decent life. 
Yeah, and I think part of what happens with, with the demonization of selfishness, it's part of the whole split that there's morality and there's practicality. So yeah. you can either be moral or practical, or as Tara was saying, it's sometimes you want to be moral, so you're going to be selfless and give up things, but most of the time you want to do stuff that's practical and pro my life, and, but it's put in a completely different category. And what Ayn Rand is saying is it's hard to be practical, to really devote yourself to your life. And if you do that, it's moral. Mm -hmm. And so she's uniting two things that most people she split apart. She would basically apart. say that's the most moral thing yeah. you could do, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and it's hard. That's part of what's different in her conception. Yeah, and I mean, I think here, here again, you know, one of the caricatures of selfish, you're just saying do what you want to do. <clears throat> do whatever you feel like doing. Now, again, think about that. Try that for a week. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to study for the test. I don't feel like it. Yeah. I'm not going to go to the dent. I don't hate going to the dentist. Or the, you know, just, I mean, live that way. Oh, I don't feel like thinking about what I can actually afford and how much money's in the bank. and so, yeah. See how that works out for you. I mean, no, it takes thought. And think about, I sometimes use these examples of where it's really clear you want to do what's best for you. You're trying to decide which college to go to. Let's say you've decided to go to college. Okay. You know, there's a, a range of considerate. How much it, does it cost? How far away is it? How good are they in the subjects I'm interested in? Um, you know, there's a variety. What's the culture like at that college? Mm -hmm. Is it too big? Am I going to, you know, there's a lot of stuff to weigh. Where even though the objective is, I want to do what's going to be best for me, that might be clear, unequivocal in your mind. Doesn't mean it's a no-brainer what's going to be best for you. People and people face that's just one example. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, medical treatments in some cases. Should I take this job? There are a number of cases where it's not transparent. It's not always easy. It sometimes takes discipline to you know right. be on that paleo diet or make that marathon and train for it and so on. So we're not saying just always take the shortcut or something like that. Right. Is, I, I suspect, uh, if you remember when Mother Teresa died years ago, that they said that on her deathbed she was realizing that she wasn't as happy, basically, and, and that she had had doubts all along. Mm -hmm. I, I suspect that wouldn't surprise you yeah. as someone that tried to live for others all the time. Um, yeah, I think she had, when you read some of her diaries, and stuff, doubts about what she's doing I think part of the doubts are it's I've given up everything and there's the big question of why is mm. th th there's really no reason to do it um, and you need to invent a God and all the particulars of it that the God wants you to sacrifice and give up your things and it's you don't have any reason really to do it. You've never been given a reason. You're, it's, that's part of what the faith is, that I'm going to subordinate myself to this higher, alleged higher power. Higher, and to live a life like that, you're going to have doubts. Did Ayn Rand ever link any of this to just how we're wired? That if you leave some people to their own devices purely, that they will do some of the, the shadier, selfish stuff, let's say. That it's not just, a, because not everyone operates in a purely rational way of thinking all the time. Uh -huh. right. Do you know about if there was any connection to that? I mean, I wouldn't put it as it's exactly wired, but it's sort of a default in that it's a real achievement to think. So just to think and, engage, and think what is right and wrong, what is true and false, that's an achievement. It's not, you have to do something wrong. Most people do that automatically and you have to be doing something wrong. To, that is a positive achievement that a person has to choose. And if he doesn't choose to do that, then I think there's all kinds of defaults that he's going to follow what other people do. He needs some kind of guide and he's not in this, this idea of self-responsibility. He's not his own guide. He's not figuring out what to do. So the typical thing is to look to other people and that easily then can become you're sort of living for other people. They're telling you what to do. It's the authority mm -hmm. and taking cares, order yeah, kinds of yeah. things. And it leads to, so she, she has a lot from that perspective I think, but she thinks of it as a sort of default of you've got this tremendous capacity that you could choose to realize and you can make something of your life and if you don't then there's all kinds of things that, that happen. No, doing your own thinking is one of the major virtues <clears throat> that she talks about. She talks about it in terms of independence. But it's, you know, you've got to do your own thinking. Learn from others. Be open. To, and you can learn tremendously from others. But you've got to think it all through for yourself, whether it's on moral issues and how I should lead my life or what I should do or whatever. That's actually one of her sort of central selfish virtues is 
do your own thinking, try to understand for yourself so that you can make good decisions about what's true, what's real, what's right, what's moral, what's gonna serve my well-being and my happiness. Yeah. Are you guys particularly enthused at this moment for some of these ideas? <coughs> because when I hear you say that about people thinking for mm. themselves, mm. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'd like to think I'm a little part of something that's happening online right now where people are doing it. Doesn't mean they're all objectivists sure. per se right, or, right. or anything else. Of course. But, but there does seem to be a oh, resurgence, yeah. especially amongst young people. And when I've done events with ARI, mm -hmm. I meet all sorts of young people who maybe agree on this or disagree on that, and they're every color and race and sexuality and all of that stuff that are thinking again. And mm -hmm. I don't know that if I was doing this exact thing, say, 10 years ago, that it would have been as influential or effective. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very positive sign that there's these, I mean, you do long form stuff with deep conversations and it gets mm -hmm. a big audience. And I, yeah, <laughs> and I actually think that part of what's going on when you think, particularly the young people, it's this is what they expected college to be more like. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. college is not, not like yeah. that anymore. Yeah. Um, it was, I think, more when I was still a student, undergraduate yeah. student than it. And so this deep exploration of ideas, ideas I haven't encountered before, I might not agree with, but it takes work to even just listen and like, what's this other yeah. perspective? And let me think about it and the space to think. And you're not supposed to just fall into lockstep with everybody else. Yeah. There's too much of that now. Um, so I think the fact that you're, you've yeah. got an audience and other people, yeah. it's, a, it's a really I think positive. Are, are you seeing, as someone that's teaching young yeah. people, are you seeing sort of a resurgence of an interest in ideas? Somewhat. I mean, even though I'm at a big university at the University of Texas, um, I often teach small classes and somewhat selective honors classes, often at least. Um, so it's in that sense, I can't give you a you know the most representative uh, spectrum. But I definitely see, for instance, I've had free speech dialogues for several years. I was hosting these sorts of things, and just as Ankar was saying, people, were students, all sorts of students attended and really responded positively. Again, mm -hmm. in the sense that they really seemed like they wanted to engage with different ideas. And I do think you're right that. 10 or 20 years ago, there wouldn't have been as much interest mm -hmm. in hearing other ideas. But I think it's just the bankruptcy of the reigning philosophies, the reigning political philosophies mm -hmm. and moral philosophies. And the fact that this selflessness, you know, really be selfless and serve it, even though that's still, you know, what you're supposed to think and what everybody says, how long can you, I mean, you have to cheat on that in order to actually live. You have to be prudential or practical, as Ankar was saying, right? How long can people cheat? And people are, I mean, enough people, and often young people, are honest enough with themselves to realize maybe we need some different, broader theories here about what is good and bad. And maybe there is more to be said for self-interest or, yeah. So you've both mentioned morality here. So let's try to link selfishness to morality. So. Obviously, you could just look at America. We live in a country of, I don't know, 350 million some odd people who have all sorts of different moral beliefs. Does that then complicate uh, a society's ability to operate in a selfish way? Because people have, people are, their bedrock of morality is starting in a different spot. I think it does. Um, so, and if you think back to the founding of America, you need, it's not everybody has to agree with this, but you need a significant minority who thinks that the pursuit of happiness is a good thing to engage in. And you can have different conceptions of all the details of what that happiness consists in. So, and the founding fathers were creating a system which you're free. Um, and so you have enormous amount of latitude of how, the kind of life you're going to build and so on. But if there's, if it, you really have a perspective that it's a sin to pursue your own happiness and to exhibit, uh, so another one of Ayn Rand's virtues, pride. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, to, and pride is, is, is about making something of yourself and you can, I mean, put it very colloquially, you can look in the mirror and have a moral mm -hmm. approval, like I'm morally good to have that and to, that, that takes work to mm -hmm. achieve that. If that's regarded as a sin, then I think the whole system, political system that the Founding Fathers designed, there's something deeply problematic about it. And what you saw in the 19th and into the 20th centuries with the rise of fascism, communism, various forms of socialism, I think was targeted at it's selfish to pursue your own happiness. And it is. And it, yeah, I mean, freedom is what's 
you know, once you're talking about a society, an organized political society, I mean, what allows people to have great variations in the gods that they pray to or whether they pray at all and the moralities that they mm -hmm. practice, what allows that is a common commitment to individuals' freedom. But that's incompatible. I mean, truly, and this was one of the things that Ayn Rand, you know, was really, I think, insightful on, you can't defend th that idea that your life is yours and you have a right to it if you think, oh, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. yeah. It belongs to this God or that God or these people or right. society. It's like, the, so no wonder we're losing freedom. Again, that's another political com conversation to have, right? But no wonder when, well, the underpinnings, the moral underpinnings are, yeah. are being lost. You briefly touched on the phrase rational self-interest. Do you see any, is there any distinct difference between rational self-interest and selfishness? Or is it just another way of saying I, I just the mean same. them as the same, yeah, you know, yeah. true, genuine selfishness, I mean as, yeah. Yeah, do you think that, so that's a little bit of a branding thing, right? I mean, if the word selfishness is going to scare a certain amount of people, mm -hmm. I think rational self-interest sounds maybe a little more palatable to a certain amount of people. Yeah, yeah I, it's part branding, and I think it's important that she didn't... have to sell ideas, Yeah, right? I, mean, I mean, she didn't do. only use selfishness, she used rational self-interest, she mm -hmm. used pursuit of happiness and so on. So it's not like she's saying, this is the term you have to use, yeah, don't yeah. use any right. of these others. But I think she's using selfishness to be deliberately controversial, deliberately provocative, but in a very deep way, and that goes back to some of what we were talking about, that people's attitude is sort of, we know what selfishness means, you don't, to Ayn Rand. And her right. perspective is exactly the reverse. Right. Mm. I know what it means, you don't. You lump all kinds of people together under this rubric selfish. And they're so different, and some of these people are good, and some of these people are bad. You don't really have a concept of what selfishness means. And this is how to think about it properly, and that's what she's trying to do in the book. So it's deliberately provocative, but there's a deep point about like, I understand this better than you do, <laughs> yeah. And, it, and, yeah. and people think the reverse. So that, that's a good segue then to altruism. How do we fit in how much should you say do for others? Because a certain amount of people are going to watch this and go, <laughs> these guys, I get yeah. it, okay, but what are they doing for other people then if yeah. they're just doing things for themselves yeah. all the time? Yeah. Which again gets to that, that definition, that more narrow definition uh -huh. Uh -huh. of yeah. selfishness. Yeah. Well, Rand, and I agree with her completely, opposes altruism, by which I mean, you know, the elevation of others above oneself. You know, up the value, you know, presuming that there is greater value in another person or the need of another person trumps my life, my needs, my values, right? That's what she's against. Now, that's not the same thing as being against ever helping other people. Or it's certainly not against benevolent. Again, they think, oh, you're just a, I don't know, Solipsist is, isn't even the word I'm looking for. You know, you just, you don't like other people or you're, you're anti-social. No, not, are you kidding? Again, think about, think about your life. I don't know about you, but I love people. I, I like people. You know, now, there are individuals. I like you get to, people. You get to know them a little. You know, you get to know some people and eh, that goes away. But would your, is your life better? I mean, just broadly again to start, right? Is your life generally better because of a, people, good things. They came up with fantasy football. <laughs> they came up with those, no, I mean, there's like, a, you know, I mean, they came up, don't get me started. But uh, you can value other people. You can have very different kinds of relations. I mean, there are some people who will become good friends. There are some people you'll love, romantic, I mean, my God, you're in love with this person. I mean, mm -hmm. there are people who you just like for, you know, as a tennis partner or as a student or we have all sorts of relationships. And then there's, there are circumstances in which it makes sense to do things for those people, but not as a sacrifice. Not at the expense of, okay, I'll give to him because he needs it, and now, damn it, I'm not going to get to do that serious thing I've been wanting to do and saving to do. And so That's what she's against. Yeah. Self-sacrifice, putting others first. But there are And one of the things I talk about, I have a book which talks a lot about Rand's version of selfish virtues and I have a section in there where I talk about generosity and charity mm -hmm. and where they shine in because they're not virtues for her mm -hmm. but nor are they thou shalt not you know oh my god that would be a mortal sin and you know right. how can oh Tara mm -hmm. you're gonna be excommunicated no so there not, are circumstances they're not virtues in and of themselves but they're they're, they're not they're obligations good, right. they're not standing obligations you know when the opportunity arises you must give yeah sorry yeah no no I get that, I get I get into it no, no, I think that, that, that's really interesting. Um, I mean, well, yeah. yeah, so you were asking a little bit before about 
um, thinking of this from a more biological perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the way she thinks about it is, so the whole issue of fact and value comes from biology. So when you think about living things, you think about them as having values. That is, some things are good for them and some things bad. Some things beneficial, some things harmful. And that any living thing, I mean, a plant, mm -hmm. if you don't water it for two weeks, is that good or bad for it? And everybody has this perspective. Well, it's obviously bad for it. And any living thing you look at like that. And it's true of human beings as well. And it's how you should look at your own life. That I, there's values in the world that I have to pursue given that I'm a human being. But the, the selfishness as exploitation, the idea is it's dog-eat-dog. Dog. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what she's rejecting completely. And I think this is what's radically different about human beings, that we're capable of trading. And so her principle, she calls it the trader principle. It's that you, you should be giving value for value with other people. So you should seek out other people. Mm -hmm. It's not just, okay, they happen to be here, so I'll go talk to them. So seek out, you, there's all kinds of values. You can, you can learn from them, there's companionship, and there's trade and specialization and so on. I mean, the civilization we live in, you couldn't live in like each oh, person right. on a desert island. Right. I mean, it's ridiculous. But there's a vast, vast difference if you're dealing with someone where you're both profiting from the relationship mm -hmm. or only one person is. And if, it's, if it really is win-lose, whatever the direction, it's not a good relationship. And we're capable of having win-win so relationships. That's, that's particularly interesting to me because I think a lot of people think you can't have a win-win situation. I think a lot of yeah, people think in the terms of if I'm getting something, yeah. as if there's a finite amount of mm -hmm. something, and right. that means right, that right. I have to yeah. be taking, yeah. and I will now and have more. And that's where we're different. Human beings are different, yeah. right? We're not just like animals who have to scavenge, and oh no, there's only so much meat, and if this wolf gets it, this one won't, right. or something. It's like, no, we create values. And this was obviously, a, well, as anybody who's read Rand knows, major theme. It's our minds, our use of reason that enables us to create the values, mm -hmm. not just find them somewhere, ooh, good, got there first, right? Create the things that we need to survive, to flourish, to enrich our lives, to make our lives so good, right? And so, I, I mean, again, you just think of some of your best relationships. Now, again, that's starting with your best relationships, right? But Hopefully, I don't. I don't know if you're married or what your situation is, right? But it's pretty win-win. Ho hopefully, I think. it's yeah, good. Yeah. Hopefully, it's good for the two of you, right? Yeah. I mean, we're friends. Yeah. I think it's. Mm -hmm. I think it's yeah. good for the <laughs> yeah. two of you know. Right. Um, you mean you're not doing this All sorts of relationships. <laughs> no, but I mean there are all sorts of relationships. Again, less person, not the best one, but uh, you know, not just to focus on the very best ones where. Hey, this is good. This guy likes being a butcher. I like his meat, or what? You know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and think how bizarre it. So there, there's this common view that love is selfless. Think if you really try to spell it out. And this is you were asking like for for tips for people. Ask what like what does that mean and why yeah, is yeah. this true? And what it would really mean is you're in a relationship with another person and you would be telling them, like, I don't get anything from this relationship. I don't really know why I'm in it, but you seem to be benefiting, so that makes it good. Right, so, or they'd and, be that way too, and then... Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> if both of it's... And you can't, when you really project it, you, yeah. it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and when she talks about trade, so she means it both in an economic and material values, but also spiritual values. Yeah. You gain from being around good people. And, and gain right. in a way just not, like in your pocketbook. It's Exactly, it's, it's, right. I think sometimes the word trade does have those yeah. narrowly economic connotations. And it's not like, oh, you calculate how much you get. You know, the more good, successful people are around you, the richer the pool from which we all have to benefit. I mean, I will write just all, you know, thinking of another natural win-win. That's great if the woman who wrote all the Harry Potter books is richer than Midas or whatever. She brought a hell of a lot of pleasure mm -hmm. and so on to other people, right? I will frequently write an author if I really like their, it might be fiction or whatever, you know, or a singer, a performer I really like. That's great, you know, mm -hmm. that she's getting the accolades or she's getting the money and I really enjoyed this book or that concert or so. It's win-win. That's, I see it as a, an application in a way of justice, mm -hmm. of respecting what I think somebody deserves. Like, wow, that was really, that was out of the ordinary in my view. So I just want to tell them that. Lots of win-win out there. So when someone says, well, wait a minute, uh, J.K. Rowling has made hundreds and hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars yeah. and nobody right. could possibly need that much money. She didn't, 
She didn't get it because she needed it. <laughs> she needed it. Yeah. She got it because people wanted to. They thought, I'm better off. I want that book. I actually haven't read those, but I've been reading her mysteries, which I like very much. So there's a plug for you now. Um, but, um, <laughs> Let's make that woman a little money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the poor thing. Yeah. Hey man, she worked hard to do that, and it wor- and it's and people want it, so they want to pay. So it's. Yeah, and right. if if you think about the question, that she has more money than she needs, that only seems mm. like a criticism if you have the zero sum. Mm-hmm. So it's she's amassed so much, and that means other people are yeah. losing yeah. out. Yeah. But what you should want, if and again, this is if you're selfish, you should want everybody doing what she's doing like you should want more people like that more people like bill gates more people like steve jobs i mean think of how steve jobs transformed the world with the iphone and would you like you want to get rid of him or you want 10 more people like him and and just from the perspective of your life and you're benefiting it's for sure i would rather have 10 more than try to take him and then discourage these potential 10 upcomers because mm. look when he gets really successful which is what happened to bill gates we're going to go after him right. it's it's in their interest to be free like that it's in my interest yeah. to be yeah. right because everyone wants to be that person if you're living a sensible life, mm-hmm. you want to do something, not because necessarily you just want to be rich, right. but you want to do something that oh, has yeah. value. Yeah. That, yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. Let's try to bring this into a little bit of what's happening right now. You know, there's all this talk about taxes now and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talking about this 70% marginal tax mm-hmm. rate. And I saw this really interesting Twitter thread where someone took uh, The Rock. They said, you know, Dwayne Johnson, he makes mm-hmm. you know $250 million a year. And then they tried to break it down, what it would look like if he was having to pay all these taxes. And because, you know, over 10 million, then it's at 70%. And basically, after this long Twitter thread, they got it down to something like, even if he's making 250 and we tax him out the wazoo, he'll make $35 million a year. And who couldn't live on that? And I just was reading it. I thought, well, that just doesn't make it right. Makes you kind of feel good. So we sort of outsourced our brains on this in a way. Well, I think it, it, it's, there's a... To, to, the, to feeling good about something that has nothing to do with you or something to that effect. But it's, it's, you're making him sacrifice. You're making him give up values for other people. And that's supposed to be good. So they think of it as they're doing something good. But it comes from a view that selfishness is wrong and being selfless is right. And if someone's not going to do it voluntarily, we're going to force him right. to do it. And, and I mean... Um, which is directly correlated to just uh, state power and the role of government, which obviously Ayn Rand talked about a lot too. Um, what about some of this is just that we live in a way in a society where we have outsourced our virtue so that, you know, it's like if, if the government does yep. everything oh, yeah. and the government takes care of poor people, whether they do it well or not is a separate mm-hmm. issue, yeah. mm-hmm. that we don't have to do certain things that perhaps if we lived in a society that was a little freer, mm-hmm. we might actually do more and feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Well, we'd have to think more. It goes back to some of what we were talking about much earlier in the conversation, I think. Um, yeah, there's a lot of outsourcing of conscience, um, both to the government and to just society in general. Like, in, there's a sense in which it's easy to be the mm-hmm. altruist or the selfless. You say all the things that all the respectable people say. Right? You give variations of those you were reading or mentioning some of the kinds of things that State of the Union addresses or commencement addresses. Always, right? So you seem like one of the, you know, one of the with it guys or whatever. Right? So whether it be we outsource it to government to, well, yeah, I have a guilty conscience, so tax me so that I'm fulfilling my duty, but then I can still go buy the purse I want to buy or whatever it might be. Again, are we, seri- you know, are we serious about, do you want to be a good person? You've got to think about what it is to be a good person. Mm-hmm. But from the more positive end, too, I think we, you, you want to be happy. You think, you think it's a good thing for people to be happy? Like, who's against happy? You know, like mm-hmm. really- okay, then we have to seriously think about how you're going to get that. How is anybody going to be happy? And I know for me, one of the real turning points as I was discovering objectivism and and coming around to, yeah, this self-interest, you know, on the right understanding and her is really mm-hmm. good. Is when, when it clicked for me, and it, I had been thinking about it a while, like, you can't make other people happy. This, I think this is really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all sorts of things you can do for other people, and that, that can be of substantial, serious benefit to other people, right? But I can't make you a happy person. I can't make you fulfilled. I can't make 
what it's like to be you, feel good to you, feel fulfilling, feel rewarding, feel like this is a life worth, I can't give that to you. Even if I love, if I know you really well mm -hmm. and, I, and I do everything, well, you know, we, there's more to say there, but it's like, but if that's the case, then the only way for anybody to be happy, to have the best life they can have is for them to go after it for themselves. And that's going to take, again, really thinking. Maybe so I'm inclined. What can you then do for somebody? So let's say Oh, there are circumstances in which you can, you know, your rich uncle can pay for your tuition. You know, I mean, they're, right? Uh, uh, you can be the good friend who really listens and tries to understand. And, uh, you know, I mean, so there are a variety of ways in which we do benefit. Again, we were talking earlier about relationships as potentially mm -hmm. real win-winners, right? Mm -hmm. So there are all sorts of things you can do, but you've got to know what, what somebody else can't give me. You know, some, it's like, ah, that comes from, let's say I'm learning chess, okay? Quick example. Uh, you're teaching me chess. And now it's the first time I'm actually going to go have a match with this guy over there, right? And you're like in the room feeding me all the, you know, you're telling me everything <laughs> to do. And I do everything. And I beat him. Uh-huh. Am I going to feel good? Am I going to be learning anything? Like, am I really getting ahead? I won, right? But it's like, so it's some, I mean, that's a rough analogy. Mm -hmm. for You've got to do it for yourself. You have to lead your life. And... You know, thinking about what's going to make me fulfilled, happy, feel good. You know, what's actually going to be me using my resources, my capacities, and growing, and self-realization, and all that. That's the kind of thing somebody's got to do for themselves. They could still have great relationships with others, and that can be part of, you know, them building their good lives. Yeah, so a lot of this also comes down to the right way of parenting, probably, too, which is that you just want to give this person that you brought up into the world the right tools so that they can go ahead and figure it out for themselves. As yeah, to, and to really as encourage to just them. handing them a bag full mm -hmm. of, yeah. of you know, the, the problems parent, are all fixed and, you know, yeah. do whatever the hell you want to do. Yeah, and I think it, it's the parenting and, and wider education. I mean, we're both teachers, and it's and we both know there's a lot of things you can do to help students learn. But if they're not putting in the work, there's not, you can't shove the knowledge into their mind. And if we're thinking about valuing as it requires a lot of knowledge and of, of really thinking things through, is this the right career for me? Is this really worth doing? Is this producing a value? And having a first-hand view about that, you can't shove that into somebody's yeah. head. He has, you can help him see right. certain things, right. but they have to do a lot of work and you're trying to encourage them and show them like there's an end result that's really positive, right. but they have to put in the work. And this is the, um, both, I think, uh, Ayn Rand thinks of two virtues as virtues, the, the moral traits of character that most people don't. They might think of them, again, as practical, mm -hmm. but not as moral. And that's, you need to be rational, which is really think things through for yourself. Don't be too quick to just agree with everyone else. Do I really understand things? And mm -hmm. to be really mm -hmm. pursuing and loving knowledge. And then to be making stuff, to be producing. And I think that's the most distinctive. And it goes back to this. She views life as trade when you're interacting with people. You can create new values. And if to go back to the Cortez, the 70%, mm -hmm. she's seen as moral mm -hmm. because she's going to mm -hmm. take somebody else's money and give it to somebody else. And the guy who's created it, is not seen as moral. And he has no say about what happens right. to his he's money. He's an afterthought. Yeah, because he right. made it. Because the money's right. here. Because yeah. he already did the dirty right. work. He's right? got now, yeah. I he's mean, there are circumstances enough. which say, that's enslavement and so on. But somehow, oh no, this is moral. This is, oh yeah, this is the higher ground that yeah. we should all be on. Well, it also, yeah. at some level, I suppose, comes down to that a certain amount of people think that they can control the universe or, or, or something to that effect, right? Like she's trying to build a system that if she could only build her perfect system, we would all behave in the way that she, she wants, wants us to behave, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. which is yeah. which is called dictatorship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There is a word for that, right? Yeah. Well, actually, not polite to say of of you know Saint Cortez right now. Right, right, right. Well, we just opened the YouTube comments up. There you go. Insanity. There you go. Um, okay. Let's link this though to justice, as long as we're talking about Cortez. And you mentioned justice yeah. before. Now, everyone that watches my show knows how how frustrated I am with mm -hmm. the social justice oh, crew. Okay. But as you yeah. alluded to yeah. earlier. Yeah. There are, it's not all, first off, I would never argue that it's, it's totally uh, malintended. Sure, sure, I think, sure, I think sure. most of these people right. think that they're doing good. Uh -huh. I think they're, yeah. ultimately what they're creating so. is not good. But where does justice, well, I guess how would you define justice and where, where would it fit into this conversation? 
Justice is definitely one of the central virtues in Rand's account of selfish virtues. Um, she says justice is a matter of judging other people objectively and treating them accordingly. So it involves, so you know, a couple of parts to that, right? You're, it does involve judging people as opposed to judge not and be not judged, or who are you to be judgmental, or who are you to judge, and all that. No, no, you have to judge individuals. Right, people always yeah. say, don't judge me, but right. we do this it's every ridiculous. moment of you the day. Every interaction judge. you have is a judgment. And, and notice yeah. that if you're good, you're not going to say, don't judge me. But if yeah. you yeah, don't yeah, yeah. like things oh, about don't you. Judge. Yeah. Right, don't judge. Right. 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 But it's, again, judge objectively. So you have to go by the evidence. Right? And sometimes you don't have enough evidence. So don't judge prematurely. Don't be like, oh, i got to reach a judgment. I don't know enough yet, or I don't have enough to go, or whatever. So you have to judge, judge objectively, and act accordingly. Treat the person as he deserves. And yeah, so it, it's definitely a virtue. It's a virtue, again, it's an application of being rational, as Ankar was talking about earlier. It's be realistic about people. People vary in many, many different respects. It's not just a matter of judging their moral character. Right? I have to judge my mechanic. Gee, every time I bring the car to that guy, I always have to bring it back three weeks late or whatever, right? Or this place charges too much for whatever it might be, right? You judge roommates again, uh, you know, college roommates, whatever kind of, right? who should I, who should I have babysit the kid? I mean, we judge people for all sorts of things, minor, major, you know, very consequential or not. It makes sense for your own self-interest to try to be very clear-eyed in the judgments that you make and you know, I'll give my business there or not. Or, no, I'm really interested in that person. Let's see if she wants to go out Saturday night or whatever it might be. So you judge people, you treat them objectively. And so if we live in a society, though, where people have a different moral bedrock, and I know that even though you'd love for everyone mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. to live by these rules, obviously you're not going to impose it on them, I know that much. Um, how do we get a, a consistent definition of what justice is then um. as a society? I think it, it has deeper foundations, so it, it, and there has to be some agreement on those deeper foundations. Again, not every single person has to agree, but you don't, if, if you have on the foundational issues in a, in a society, everyone disagreeing about everything, you can't build a culture. You don't really have a culture. You have a clash um, uh, and an ideological clash. Right. And seem, I think the basic... Sort of yes, that right yes. Now, actually. And I, and I, I think it's, it's because there's various competing issues. There's still the enlightenment heritage of viewing people as individuals and that they have control over their lives, over their thinking and action, and I can therefore judge them as individuals. And that justice is an issue of judging individual by individual. You can't have blanket um, and collective when we're talking about moral judgment, that all blacks or all gays, or that there's no such thing if you're really thinking the, of, of yeah, the moment. It's like, yeah. guys. And the more you have, a, and again, at the deeper foundations of the culture, the more it's pushing that what your identity is, is your group. Mm -hmm. Or and it can be different mm -hmm. groups. And mm -hmm. the more that your conception of justice is totally different because you don't think of it as an individual in control of their lives and I have to judge individual yeah. by individual. Yeah. And if there's not agreement about that, like if most people think, no, we're just these group, right. Right. tribal. And rich people no. are exploiters, 70% yeah. right. I'll take. Yeah. Right. And this is tremendously what's happening right now. I mean, this is what I would say the, the sort of oppression Olympics of judging us by those mm -hmm. traits and looking right. at somebody and going, you have darker skin, so I should think this, or right. you're a woman, so I should think this. I mean, this, this seems to have become mainstream thought right now. So it's funny, when I've had Yaron Brook on a couple times, he'll talk about how, well, when he goes to Eastern Europe where they're starved mm. for ideas mm -hmm. because they've lived through communism, well, they love Ayn Rand because they need a spark a little more, of yeah. individual. Yeah. You know, I've had some, I've, I've gone just a few, and nothing like your own, but um, a few Eastern European countries and, and spoken there. And yeah, the reality of the alternatives is more palpable to these people, even younger generations, but they remember their grandfather's farm. And, mm -hmm. you know, the do it all because you didn't have a freer economy and so on. It's all much more real to them, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we've definitely kind of socialized the idea of justice. I mean, justice is an interesting mm -hmm. virtue in that it goes way back and 
M many different cultures, East and West, have very strong ideas of justice, and many of them are essentially this idea of you treat people as they deserve. But it's gradually over the years been distorted and ideas about individual deserve, oh, deserve, mm -hmm. no, right. no individual can deserve anything, you know. You are what the community made you. You are just, you know, it takes a village. Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't build that, God forbid. It's like, well, kind of did in some mm -hmm. cases, you know, it is the individuals who did. But we, it, it's a sort of a transposition of the anti-individualist that's really perverted justice in, in some of these ways that we're seeing. So this has been a through line through everything we've done here, but let's just bring this to honesty also and why honesty is so important. It's, again, I think she has a, a very distinctive view. So most people think of honesty back linking it to selfishness that if I were to be selfish, I'd be dishonest. Because I'd exploit right. other people, I'd lie to right. them, I'd cheat, I'd, I'd tell more person one that story. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so that's what's selfish. But honestly, well, I tell the truth and I'm interested in the truth for other people. And Rand's view that I think is that it's really important to get that this is right is you should care about the truth for yourself. So you should be, her conception of honesty is a passionate commitment that I want to know what's true about my life in the world in general. If I'm in a bad relationship, I don't want to fake and pretend that I'm in a good relationship. I'm never going to get to being in a good relationship right. if I don't face the fact I'm not in a good relationship. Or I don't one. like right, my right, job right. at work. Right, but yeah. people on Facebook will think you're happier than you are. And that seems to be what <laughs> well, that's true, that's yeah. true. And that's, I mean, if you really have a conception of it's my life, I've got one to live, and so on. It doesn't matter what other people think about it, and if they think you're happy or they think you're not. And so on. You know from the inside, you have a perspective on your own life. Is it going well or not? And part of honesty is to look at yourself in a deep way and think, do I like everything about myself? Um, are there things that I don't, things that I can improve? Do I like my situation in life in thinking about happiness? Of, of I'm in a dead end career, or I've exhausted. Like I liked it, but I'm right. so now Not just more. going through yeah, the yeah. motions. Sort yeah. of, I need a change. Yeah. And the the if you pretend or fake, what you don't gain it anything. Yeah. You don't. You're still in this job that right. you're not really fulfilling. You're pretending to yourself and maybe other people because yeah. you have to be respectable and you can't have a midlife crisis or whatever. But if that's what's happening, you should really face it. I mean, the way I think of it often is is just faking things doesn't change things. Right? Mm -hmm. You can pretend to other people mm -hmm. or to yourself, right? But faking things doesn't change things. So the sooner I figure out what things are and like face that honestly, the better position I'm in to pursue my happiness, you know, to, right. to have a good life, to get out of this relate like and a lot of it is avoiding self-deception. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. It's not just a matter of are you honest with do you tell lies? Right? Mm -hmm. right? It's like you know, the road to hell is paved with evasion, of fudging, <laughs> or just kind of, uh -huh. you know. Yeah. Um, you gotta be honest with yourself, you gotta be honest. You gotta try to face facts and find out when you don't know what's what, so that you can make the best decisions, right? So faking isn't gonna help. But again, what's interesting, I think, is usually when people are taught, well, you gotta be truthful, you gotta be honest, because the reasons given are, well, you'll get a bad reputation if you're found out to be a liar, right? Your credibility will suffer. People won't want to deal with you. Or in general, this is bad for the social fabric of trust, reliability. Mm -hmm. You know, we need a lot of that. Well, no, that, those, those things are both true. Mm -hmm. But one solution would be become a better liar. Don't be found out, right? It's like, no, that's not really going to help mm -hmm. because more fundamentally than what other people think or your dealings with other people, if you're alone on a goddamn desert island, I don't know, in that old movie Castaway or something, like, you got to be honest <laughs> about, I've got something here that I think I should worry about. Right, or right. I think there's a storm coming this way. I've got to follow the facts, right? I've got to track right. the truth if I'm going to make rational decisions. So it's a very reality-based approach to honesty. Yeah, faking things doesn't change them. You can lie on the CV and pretend you you can do something that you can't. Good luck when you get in the job then. You know, if you can fool people for a while, but you can't fool reality. And then, then are there moments where being dishonest is actually within your rational self-interest? 
I wouldn't put it as dishonest, but if you have too concrete a view of what honesty and dishonesty mean, then, so are there times when I would lie? Yes. Um, if, I mean, the kind of standard examples, if, if, if some gang is going around killing people and they ask, well, where's your wife or whatever, I'm going to lie. Right. And, and I don't view that as dishonest. So if I think of honesty as loyalty to the facts. Well, it's, it's oh, okay. okay. And dishonesty is I'm trying to get around the facts mm -hmm. and trying to achieve something while getting around the facts. I don't think you can achieve something. You can try to put mm -hmm. people off the scent mm -hmm. for a minute and lie to them. So, mm -hmm. And I think there's situations, I mean, that's the standard kind. I think there are other situations where I would lie um, because I, someone's trying to evade your privacy and so on. And if you just say no comment or something like that, it, it's often better if you lie and they go off looking in some direction where they mm. should. Um, so there are situations, but I don't think of that as it's, honesty is about I'm loyal to the facts. I wanna know because I need knowledge in order to guide my life and to succeed in everything that I'm trying yeah. to do. Yeah. And I think even when you think of it in regard to other people, the reason you brought up Bernie Madoff before who lied uh, left, right, center. Um, why does he feel out of control of his own life? And when you read that, it's because, as Tara was saying, he knows that he's lying. So these are not facts. And the liar typically thinks, I'm so sophisticated and a good liar, and these are all idiots who can't discover any facts. Mm -hmm. But the facts are out there to discover, and, and you know that. And some, so viewed long term, someone's gonna find out the way he's cooking the books and so on. And the more his scheme goes on, the more things there is to find out. And he knows that, and right. he experiences a massive, that he's out of control, because he is out of control. Right, so basically um, he's building a house of cards, yeah, and that he, other, he might be the one that knocks. Yeah, inadvertently, out. yeah. He tells some, like he has to keep his five different stories straight, and he tells the wrong thing to the right. wrong person right. who then starts to question. And that's like inevitable in the situation, mm -hmm. because the facts are still right. there, out there for people changed. to discover. Right. Wishing yeah. doesn't make yeah. it so. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an interesting way to link to the final topic that we'll talk about, which is pride. So they say pride cometh before the fall. Yeah. He must have thought, Madoff must have thought, I can manage all this stuff because mm. these people, as you said, they must be idiots and I can manage all so of this. Clever, right? But it was his pride in a way that was almost his downfall at some level. Well, his, well, his, I would say his fake pride. Or, yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah, the, yeah. that's, I think, the thing. So, not it, his authentic pride, yeah, but I think it, it's, you guys subscribed to. You yeah. know where we're coming from now. Yeah. You're getting the idea. I got you, I that's got you. good, yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. good. I'm not saying he had the right <laughs> virtue of pride right, right. in mind, yeah. but that he, he had this, he had concocted a system yeah. in his mind that he felt <clears> yeah. would work. That he's superior to everybody, yeah. so mm. he can mm. juggle mm. this mm. and so on. He's capable, nobody else is. But that is just, that's such massive self-deception, I think. There's no reason to think that. And if you just think of the investment world, there's all kinds of people, like Warren Buffett and so on, who are, who are like orders of magnitude a better investor than made up. If you were really thinking about it, there's no way you could think that I'm, I can dupe everybody about everything. Mm. And there were rumors over a lot of long period of time of people who understood that like, there's no way that the scheme is, is it's fraudulent. I might mm -hmm. not be, know the specific fraud, mm -hmm. but there's no way, and, and a, lot, a lot of smart it's too money. Good to be true. Yeah, a lot yeah. of smart money avoided him. And, and that, like, that's a fact. That it, so there's such self deception going on, and pride is about um, developing a character that's good and therefore you can respect. And he's doing exactly the opposite. Right. He's expecting someone that he can't look in the mirror. And when you read about the account, it's more and more he feels like that. that he can't. And he's just trying to put something over on others and that's where he's seeking his self-esteem by. Oh, what a good, clever guy I am, right? Yeah. Rand talks about pride as a vert, right? I just said pride go, you know, we're, we're told, oh, you know, pride is one of the seven deadly sins. She says it's one of, you know, the six or seven major virtues. What's she talking about? She's not talking about patting yourself on the back. You know, it's not this self-congratulatory, oh, I'm wonderful. You know, get, get ready for my close-up. Pride is about, it, well, she describes it as moral ambitiousness, which I think is one of the loveliest phrases in her nonfiction writing. Um, trying to be the best person you can be. You, you referred to making your character. You know, we talk of a self-made man, he made his fortune, or J.K. Rowling made mm -hmm. her fortune. You make your character. 
you can make your character as good as it can be. Not as an end in itself, but so that you can have the best life. Right. Hey, I want to really live according to the principles that make sense for human happiness. For human beings to have rich, flourishing mm -hmm. lives worth living. I want to do So if I figure out what the right principles are, I want to practice those. You bet. I want to be perfect. Now, perfect, you're not, you know, everybody freaks out and you say the word, but I want to be as good as I can be. You know, when I'm 22 years old, when I'm 28, I have different capacities and so on at different times. So it's make your life as good as it can be. Be morally ambitious. That means, again, you got to be honest with yourself. Right. It doesn't mean you excuse. It's like, no, no. If you realize, ooh, Tara, that was not, that was not too good. You've got to be honest. If you really care about your character, your life being as good as it can be, but that's what she's talking about. Yeah, you should be proud. You should feel good about yourself when you've earned that. Aristotle said the same thing on that part. You know, he said, yeah, pride is the crown of the virtues when you practice all the other virtues and can honestly look at yourself in the mirror. But what it's about is not this gaze, mm -hmm. and it's not comparative, it's not, oh, I'm so much better than him. It's I want to make my life as good as it can be. I want to be morally ambitious. And if that's pretty good, if that's pretty good. I'll make one I like last that yeah. comment. I mean, that's that, that from Rand. Like, I didn't that make that up. That felt like up. a good Jeez. ending to me, yeah, and, then, yeah. and then we locked eyes. <laughs> Give me something here. I, I, just to look at it back from the mm. perspective of the moral mm. and the practical, this is mm. when she's saying they go together. Most people fear morality. They're suspicious mm. of it they, because it, they think of it, it's there to take their values away. It's, uh, it's yeah. The Rock. He's made 70 million, and now, well, to be moral, you would give 70% of it away. And, so, and what her whole conception is, no, you live it to the fullest. So pride is both, it's moral and practical, and you're trying to unite these things together. So instead of fearing morality, mm -hmm. you're interested in it, and you want to mm -hmm. learn its mm -hmm. principles because it's going to advance your life. It it's such you. a radically different yeah. view yeah. of thinking about morality. Mm -hmm. yeah. That is a solid ending, my friend. All right, well, it's been, it's been a pleasure chatting with you guys. Thanks for watching, everybody. Remember, this is just one in a series of six of these interviews that I'll be doing over on the Ayn Rand Institute YouTube channel, and you can find a link to that right down below.